following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Our phone number here in the studio, if you'd like to join us, is 877-534-0780. We've really dealt with some heavy material this week, and today is not going to be any exception. I'm reading for you this volume entitled, Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which is to Come. It's by John Bunyan. It's edited by C.J. Lovick, published by Crossway. I need to give you that information because it is copyrighted information, and they've asked me to do that in order to be able to use their material. Now let's go immediately into the material because there's much I want to share with you. My name is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel, and by the way, I would very much enjoy seeing you this Sunday and getting acquainted with you. You're welcome to come and visit the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. We meet at 12.30 p.m. That's when praise and worship begins. We begin with public prayer at 12 o'clock, but the praise and worship begins at 12.30. We would love to welcome you to come and fellowship with us if in your heart, you're not looking for entertainment. You're not looking for the best kids program and the friendliest church in town and all the seeker-sensitive stuff. That's not what we're about. We're about Jesus. Now, we're friendly, but that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus and looking to him. So if that's where your heart is, uh, I would welcome you to come on the nationalprayerchapel.com website. You'll find directions, but if you do not have the internet and you need to contact me for directions, let me give you that phone number. Jot it down, and you're welcome to to call me. If I don't answer when you call, please leave a message, and I'll call you back, and I'll be able to give you specific directions. Some of you have also been asking, would I please give the address for the National Prayer Chapel because you would like to contribute toward the broadcast expenses. I'll be happy to give you that address if you call. It's 703-672-1203. And you may notice on our webpage that we do not have a way for you to contribute to this broadcast by using a credit card. I was urged by several who were working with me in the production to just give a, a PayPal place where you could send a donation. And I said, no, I do not want people donating on a credit card. I want them to give what God tells them to give. And I don't, I don't want to encourage or ask people to use credit cards. I, a long time ago said, no debt. The Lord said to me, no debt. And I agreed with him. How could I dare ask you to go in debt on your credit card? to donate something to the work of God. He would not bless that. So 
You can write a check to the National Prayer Chapel, and if you go to nationalprayerchapel.com, you'll find the address. Or you can call me, 703-672-1203. That number again, 703-672-1203. I want to pray with you. Lord, Lord Jesus, as we open this topic of salvation, I plead with you today to give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are willing to obey you. Lord, you have a very simple rule. As a brother said to me this morning, if you sin, you die. And I know only your blood can forgive our sins and release us from that bondage of wrath that is upon us. So, Lord, today I ask for your mercy and I ask for your Holy Spirit to quicken us as we consider these vital topics. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin reading for you on page 195, the chapters entitled Flattering Enemies and Renewed Trust. Hopeful is speaking in a conversation with Christian. And Christian is saying, how was Jesus revealed to you? And Hopeful explained, I did not see him with my bodily eyes, but with the eyes of my understanding. And it happened like this. One day I was very sad, probably sadder than ever before, and this sadness resulted from a fresh glimpse of the great depth and vileness of my sins. I was expecting nothing but hell and the everlasting damnation of my soul. Suddenly, I saw the Lord Jesus look down from heaven upon me and say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But, I replied, Lord, I'm a great, a very great sinner. He answered, My grace is sufficient for you. Then I said, But Lord, what is believing? And then I understood from Scripture that believing and coming were the same thing. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Thus those who have come to Jesus who have run wholeheartedly to Christ for salvation, have indeed believed in Christ, and then I wept. And I ask again, but Lord, will you indeed accept and save even such a great sinner as I? And I heard him say, He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then I ask, but how can I know that my faith is truly placed upon you? And then he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He died for our sins and rose again for our justification. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is mediator between God and man. He ever lives to make intercession for us. 
And from all this, I understood that I must look for righteousness in his person and for salvation from my sins by his blood. I must believe that what he did in obedience to his father's law is submitting to the penalty for sin was not for himself, but for him who will accept it for his salvation and be thankful. And finally, my heart was full of joy and my eyes full of tears and my afflictions, my affections running over with love for the name, for the people, and always for Jesus Christ. This was a revelation of Christ to your soul indeed, Christian confirmed. But tell me also what particular effect this had upon your spirit. And Hopeful said it made me consider that this world, notwithstanding all the good things and noble deeds in it, is, a, is in a state of utter condemnation. It makes me see that God the Father, though he is perfectly just and thus must punish all sins, can rightly justify the sinner who comes to him in his Son. He made me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life, and he confounded me with a sense of my own ignorance. For until that moment, I had never once been filled with thoughts of the beauty of Jesus Christ. It made me love a holy life, and long to do something for the honor and the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus. Yea, I thought that if I now had a thousand gallons of blood in my body, I could spill it all for the sake of our Lord Jesus. I want to remind you again that in the Old English, the word justify means to make righteous. So Bunyan here is not speaking about a righteousness that is separated from me. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I do come under the wing of the righteousness of Jesus. But I am made righteous in reality. I am not saved in my sin. I am saved from my sin. Now we come to the chapter stubborn ignorance. I then saw in my dream that Hopeful looked back and noticed ignorance. You remember some time back in the story, they met ignorance on the way, and ignorance was unwilling to speak with them about the deep things of truth. And so they left ignorance behind and walked on ahead where they could converse freely together about the things of Jesus without disagreement with ignorance. And so this man, ignorance, hopeful, looked back, and he saw ignorance coming on the path. That is, he's coming on the narrow path. He is on the highway of holiness. He thinks that he is going to have entrance into the kingdom of God. Look how far the youngster follows behind us, he said to Christian. Yes, I see him, said Christian, but he does not care for our company. Hopeful added, yet I don't think it would have hurt him if he had walked along with us. Christian said, that is true. Our companionship might have done him well, but I'm sure he thinks otherwise. I think you're right, Hopeful stated. However, 
Let's wait for him. And so they did. Then Christian said to Ignorance, Hurry up, man. Why do you lag behind? Ignorance answered, I take pleasure in walking alone and enjoy it more than traveling in the company of others, unless I really like the particular members of such a company. Then Christian said to Hopeful very softly, Didn't I tell you he cared not for our company? Then turning to Ignorance, Christian said to him, Come along with us and let us spend our time talking as we walk through this solitary place. Then he inquired of Ignorance, saying, How are you doing, and how stands it between God and your soul now? And Ignorance replied, I hope well, for I am always full of good thoughts and intentions that come into my mind that comfort me as I walk. What good thoughts and intentions? Christian inquired. Please tell us. Why, I I think of heaven. I think of God. Well, so do the devils and damned souls, Christian pointed out. Ignorance added, But I think of them and also desire them. Christian asserted, So do many who are never going to make it into heaven. The soul of the sluggard desires and hath nothing. But I think of them and leave all that I possess and enjoy that I might gain them, ignorance claimed. Oh, I doubt that, Christian exclaimed, since leaving all is a hard matter. It is a much harder matter than many are aware of. But what is it that persuades you that you have left all for God and heaven? My heart tells me so. Christian challenged. The wise man says, He that trusts his own heart is a fool. This is spoken of an evil heart, but mine is a good one, ignorance insisted. Christian quickly asked, How can you prove that? Ignorance asserted, It comforts me with hopes of heaven. That may be your heart deceiving you, Christian warned. A man's heart may comfort him with hopes of all things, but in all truth he has no reason to hope for them. Ignorance insisted, but my heart and life agree together, and therefore my hope is well grounded. Who told you that your heart and life agree together? My heart tells me so, Ignorance claimed strongly. Christian suggested, Then ask your heart if I am a thief. Your heart may tell you that I am, but that does not make it so. Unless the word of God bears witness in that matter, no other testimony is of value. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? Ignorance questioned. And isn't a good life one that is lived according to God's commandments? Yes, A good heart has good thoughts, and a good life is one lived according to God's commandments. But it is one thing indeed to have these, and another thing only to think you have them. Ignorance said, Please tell me what you consider to be good thoughts and a life lived according to God's commandments. Christian replied, There are good thoughts pertaining to different things, some with respect to ourselves, God, Christ, and other things. 
Well, what do you think are good thoughts in relation to ourselves? Christian inquired. Christian answered, such as agree with the word of God. So ignorance is saying, what do you think are good thoughts? And Christian is saying, thoughts such as agree with the word of God. I had a conversation with a dear Christian sister this morning, and she was troubled because her boss has been listening to this broadcast and is quite upset by what she is hearing. The reason she's upset is that I have said on several occasions that I am not walking in any known sin before God, that I've been washed clean by the blood, and that my life is in agreement with the Word of God. She's upset by that because she says, no one can be clean before God except by receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, and then we continue to walk in our sin, but Jesus covers our sin so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. I said to this dear sister, does your boss live a godly life? Oh, no, pastor. She curses all the time. She yells and screams at her husband. She's a very ungodly woman. She doesn't walk before God with a pure heart. She's unclean before God. She loves unclean things. But she insists that she's saved. I would call her boss a brother of ignorance. Thinking her own thoughts, believing that she is saved, while all the time she's walking in rebellion against the Most High God. This is a grave problem that we face, because many people that I speak with confidently assert to me that they are saved, that they have received Jesus Christ, that they are on their way to heaven. They go to church. They give tithes and offerings. They have wonderful thoughts about heaven. They speak fondly of the day that Jesus Christ will come. In fact, they even say, I wish Jesus would hurry up and come that we might enter into paradise. Never understanding that they cannot enter into paradise. That when they come to the pearly gate, the angels will bind them and carry them away and cast them into the depths of hell. But yet they're utterly ignorant of this fact because they've been deceived with false prophets who have given them false assurance of heaven. I spoke with one dear sister full of arrogance and pride, always contentious of spirit, always fighting with her children, a woman bitter with anger. I said to her, would you consider, please, the possibility that you are not saved? In a rage, she leaped to her feet and she said, I am saved. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I am a saved woman. Not only that, I am a mature Christian woman. 
How dare you suggest to me that I am not saved? I said, my dear sister, I'm asking you to revisit the question of whether or not you are saved because of the sin I see in your life. In a rage, she huffed out of the room and said, don't ever speak to me of this subject again. Of course, she was a part of the National Prayer Chapel, so you know I was going to have to speak with her again about this issue. And accordingly, she fled from the National Prayer Chapel. She did not want to look at the question of whether or not she was saved. She did not want to consider the sinful behavior of her life. She was unwilling to receive any rebuke regarding the wickedness of her soul. She was absolutely confident that she was saved. She prayed long and eloquent prayers. She told others about Jesus and invited them to follow Jesus. Needless to say, her children scorned her for this. They had no respect for her. They refused to follow Jesus because they saw their mother as a hypocrite, as someone who spoke boldly about Jesus, as a person who condemned them for their wickedness, but who was utterly unwilling to look at her own wickedness. Are any of you troubled by what I'm saying? Our phone number is 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call and be a part of the broadcast. What is the testimony of your heart? Do you agree with Scripture regarding your heart and regarding your life? Or have you made up, as ignorant did, some fallacious argument about the wonderful thoughts of your heart, the wonderful drawing of Jesus in your soul, and you pray with a golden tongue, and you proclaim that you have love in your heart, but you have no agreement with Jesus' word in your heart, and you still walk in wickedness before God. Do you see how painful this is? How we must come in agreement, as John Bunyan is saying in Pilgrim's Progress, we, we must come into agreement with God regarding our soul's salvation. We must come into agreement with God regarding our sin. We cannot insist that I am saved while we walk in wickedness. Our number is 877-534-0780. You're welcome to join me on air. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. Hi, Tom. Welcome. Hi, Pastor Ray. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. What would you like to share? Well, first I want to say what an honor it was to meet you Sunday. If you remember, I came by service. I had a chance to do that after many years. and. Uh, 
my uh, expectations were not disappointed when I met you. So I praise the Lord for that. And we uh, we were happy to see you. Well. You encouraged our hearts, Tom. Well, uh, I'm I'm very humbled by that statement. And secondly, just to give a 30-second commercial for your church, uh, really enjoy the preaching and the service. And and your um, uh, church is at a beautiful location. Uh, that church has set on beautiful property. Uh, I felt the Spirit of the Lord there. It was just beautiful. Uh, Thank you, Tom. Yes, and uh, the Lord's blessed you with that. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as you read, I didn't hear the whole thing because I left my car, but uh, I was thinking, I don't know why exactly, but maybe it dovetails with part of what you've been reading about ignorance and so forth. I was thinking uh, my confession is, uh, of all sinners, I am chiefest. That's uh, sometimes uh, the way I feel when you uh, read some portions of this book. It's amazing. You know? And Tom, it, it needs to lead us beyond simply that confession. It needs to lead us into very honest examination of our hearts before Jesus and, and allow him to work that wondrous change in us. Yes. Uh, that word justify, as you've heard me say over and over, literally means to make righteous. Yes. So God's not willing to let you remain the chiefest of sinners. You can Amen. say, I was in the past, but right now, he wants you clean. Amen. Amen. I receive that. Um, I, I, uh, uh, I press into and I rest on, on that truth. Uh, I mean, today my soul is, uh, although I make that confession, I, I have joy in my soul today. I can't tell you I have that every day. Sometimes, uh, you know, I feel like uh, the Apostle Peter. He said, uh, the spirit lusteth against the flesh. Yes. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. I mean, to me, that's an amazing passage, talking to saved folks. And uh, But I, I do experience that sometimes, and uh, uh, I, uh, I know I've got a ways to go, but uh, I thank God he's faithful. Tom. I also have that same issue, and part of what I'm crying out to the Lord for is the absolute entire sanctification where the old man is utterly removed from my soul. Yes. John Wesley taught that that was a gift that God would bring to us. Amen. Amen. It's it's a gift. Because I don't want to spend my time and energy fighting against this old man, this old nature. On the other hand, I'm always going to be tempted by the devil— Right. But I've been given the power to say no to sin by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And, and my concern is, uh, and you've, you've heard this, but let me just go through it real quickly again. John Wesley said there were three areas. There was infirmity. Yes. And that's not going to change till we get to heaven. Right. Yeah, this body, yeah, this okay. flesh. Then there's maturity. And we're growing up in Jesus, and I have a long way to go yet in maturity. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like a calf in the stall. I've got a lot of growing to do. Well, if you're a calf in the stall, Pastor Ray, I'm, I'm like a miniature calf in the stall. I need well, to grow up to be a calf. <laughs> Tom, Tom, then the other issue is the sin issue. And if there's any sin remaining in our hearts, that has to be quickly broken by the power of the blood and removed from us. Yes. So that we're eligible to go to heaven. Amen. Because with that sin, we're not eligible for heaven. No. no. I, I remember I used to hear preachers say, no unconfessed sin will get into heaven. I always used to scratch my head. I said, 
I didn't think any sin was getting into heaven. No sin. Unconfessed or not, I mean... No sin. It has to be washed by the blood of Jesus. We have to be made clean. Amen. Amen. So I praise God you're being washed and you're being made clean. Amen. I'm raising my hand on that one. But I'll you, take I'll take all the washing I can get. But I'll tell you, Tom, where I where I struggle right now. Yes. Where I'm struggling are character issues. Oh, I got a few of those. <laughs> and, if you got and, an hour, I can tell you a few. <laughs> and Tom, those character issues tend to lead me towards sin. Uh, well, I know what you're talking about. You were talking the other day about not not sin, but and in fact, you mentioned in church our ways. And I see some of my ways that are not perfect before the Lord as you bring those up. And those I'm asking Jesus to totally change, to restore me. Yes. Yes. And and by faith, I'm just standing that that work is done in my life. And when he exposes a new way, I stay in the prayer closet till that thing is changed. Amen. Well, you just hit the key for me. When I'm in prayer, it's... Uh... Uh, it seems like a light thing. You know, I heard somebody say one time, prayer is like brushing your teeth. You know, if you if you don't brush your teeth for a day, your your spouse knows and your children know. If you don't brush your teeth for two days, then your spouse and your family and your friends know. And then by day three, you haven't brushed your teeth, the whole world knows. You know, <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, and uh, it, you know, it's amazing. And in my own personal life, and I see other Christians, ministers doing this, they try to push people to Calvary. And, you know, we need to go to the cross for our initial cleansing. But until we go through Gethsemane, we really can't experience the cross the way we should have. And if Jesus went through Gethsemane, and who knows what how many Gethsemanes I need to go through to get to that point. so I, I know that uh, I know there's a lot of release and power in prayer and daily prayer. And when I fall back on that, you know, it's not so much the sins of commission. When I really get down to it, it's the sins of omission. Yes, and that that caused me to start drifting. You know, without yes. even realizing it. Sometimes at first. And you know, Tom, part of what I'm concerned about in my own life is that if I make any excuses for my sin. And I say things like, God is good, and he's wonderful, and he'll overlook that. No, he won't. His word says he won't. He is a consuming fire. He's I a mean, consuming fire. He's relentless. I I think, oh, I got this. I was listening to a pastor or a preacher preach today on the radio. And he says, he says, if you're not being convicted where you're at, you're not hearing the word. Because if you're coming in feeling good about yourself, and you, and, you, and you don't feel bad afterward about something that's been said as far as your life, then maybe... You know, and, and of course, there's exceptions to the rules. You know, that some services are different, but you know, if that word isn't cutting you, then uh, you're either being blind to it, or blocking it, or not hearing it. I don't know which. Yes, and and you know what? I want to feel good about Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's my heart's cry. Amen. Well, Tom, good to talk to you. Thank you for your call. Thank you, Pastor Ray. God you're welcome. bless you. Bye. Thank you, sir. Eight seven seven. Five three four zero seven eight zero. Are you in agreement with God about what He says about your life? Or do you still have areas in your life where you're saying, Well, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Did you know it's not enough to struggle anymore? 
Salvation does not come by struggle. Salvation comes as a free gift by Jesus Christ. He hasn't asked us to struggle. He's asked us to go to the cross and die. And he's waiting for us to do that. He's waiting for us to go to the cross and die, and he'll walk with us through that process. He doesn't ask us to do it alone. By his mighty power, he calls us to walk step by step through Gethsemane, as Tom was saying. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. Let's take some more calls. Hi, Mark. Welcome. What would you like to share? Yeah, how you doing? Um, just wanted to ask you the, uh, a question as far as, uh, you know, as a Christian, you, I hear a lot of different people say a lot of different things, but it all seems to be the same end, and they're just dressing it up. It's putting the different costumes on the same thing. Like, some people say that you have to be... Yeah, that, that when you're uh, a second ago, on your one year, not the college you just talked to, but the, you, you told a story about the woman in your church that she had sin in her and, her, and it's evident in her life, and that um, she uh, got angry at you when you tried to confront her about the issue of whether or not she was saved. Some people say you can be saved and still have sin in your life. It's a work in progress. You're saying that since he had sin, she was not saved? You see, this is a, this is a very difficult question in our modern culture uh, because the modern church has taken the position, uh, I'll, I'll be specific, Charles Stanley has taken the position in his teaching, as have others who are of a Reformed background, that you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you can never lose that salvation, that you then uh, can sin in any way you need to sin or want to sin, and all you lose is fellowship with God and some rewards in the hereafter. That's not what John Bunyan believed, and he was a Reformed Baptist, so he was also from a Calvinistic background. But that teaching is a very modern teaching that you can walk in sin and still be saved. Bunyan would never, never, ever say that. No, 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 don't get me wrong. What I was saying, not that, just like you were just talking with your last caller about how you're a work in progress, so there is the tendency for sin. So say you saw this woman being bitter and angry and she was full of sin, she was having issues. Now, does that mean because she had those issues, all of a sudden she's no longer a prospect for salvation? I don't believe so. The Scriptures, as I understand them, teach that a person can sin, and I'll, and I'll give you specific uh, uh, biblical uh, texts that, that will talk about this. Uh, specifically in the book of 1 John. Let me read it for you. Sure. Sorry. Um, I'm going to begin in chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, Then I'm going to go to the third chapter of 1 John, and I'll begin reading with verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin, and no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is righteous, he who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. So, Mark, to answer your question, I know you your cell phone kicked out on us, but to answer your question, a person who continues to walk in Jesus Christ does not continue to walk in known sin. A person who's walking in Christ may sin, but the Word says he will confess that sin, and Jesus will forgive him and purify him from all sin. So we're not brought into heaven or kicked out of heaven by one sin. As we die to our sin, as we are crucified with Christ, we are brought into righteousness. We are made righteous. And as we're made righteous, we no longer continue to walk in that sin. We're set free. So I urge you to read the entire uh, book of 1 John, and then I invite you to read Romans, the sixth chapter. And there are many other places that you could go, but those answer the specific question that you had regarding righteousness. Again, our telephone number is 877-534-0780. Joshua, we lost you. Give us a buzz back. 877-534-0780. This is startling for some of you because you've never heard this before. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you've heard before. It doesn't matter what you were taught before. It matters what Jesus Christ says in the Word. Our life has to agree with the Word. Our life does not have to agree with the preacher. Our life does not need to agree with what we think. It must agree with the Word of the living God. And the word is very plain that if I continue to walk in rebellion against God, in lawlessness against God, I cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let me continue reading Bunyan's material. I'm reading on page 201. 
And by the way, those of you who are not acquainted with this book, Pilgrim's Progress was written while John Bunyan served 12 years in prison. It was published for the first time in 1678. It has been published continually from that day forward. It is considered by many scholars to be the finest allegory in the English language. But more than that, for me, it is a wonderful guide from this world to the world which is to come. And that's what our interest is. It is in that journey that we're making. And we've been dumbed down in the American church. We've been told you can go on sinning and you're still saved. Our conviction regarding sin has never really been at the forefront. In fact, people want to find ways to get rid of their guilt without repenting. You cannot be saved without repenting. You cannot be saved without turning away from your sin. And many of you received Jesus Christ simply because he was a wonderful Savior and because you wanted to have eternal life, but you never dealt with your wickedness. You never dealt with the depths of your sin, with your vileness. And so you still think you're a pretty good person, but you've added Jesus. Now, I'm here to tell you, you can't do that. Tom, in the earlier call, was absolutely right. You have to go through that Gethsemane where you make the decision to agree with God and declare that his will will be done over your life. And then you go to the cross. Hi, James. Welcome. What would you like to share? Yes, um, I just had a question about what you're speaking about in terms of salvation. Yes. Uh, How does the thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians, how does that compare and contrast to your ideology as to, you know, salvation and living righteous? Uh, James, that thorn in the flesh is an interesting question, but I'll tell you what. There is simply no answer that we have in the Scriptures as to what that thorn was. Uh, Some believe that it was an affliction of blindness that he struggled with. Uh, We don't know. But certainly, from his own testimony in the book of Romans, it was not sin. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's that's an interesting perspective, because... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he talks about the thorn in the flesh, he, just like Jesus did at the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and asked God that he would take that thorn away from him. He talked about how it was an issue with his flesh, you know, the flesh being weak and the spirit being willing. The flesh being that thing that it makes it difficult for someone who has salvation to walk upright, to be righteous. And... God or Jesus' response, because his response is in red in the Bible, is that my grace is sufficient for you, so that when you are weak, then I am strong. James? <clears throat> my, my, uh, your, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. James, you're bringing in things that you cannot hermeneutically bring into this discussion, because that flesh uh, problem could just as easily have been as many scholars believe 
a blind issue, a, an issue with his eyes, or a physical sickness that he was afflicted with, you certainly could not read carefully Paul's own writings and in any manner justify that he would be saying that God was in some way saying to him that his sin was acceptable. Uh, well, I won't say it's acceptable, sir. I w- what I would say is, first of all, let's be frank. I mean, everything in the Bible is not literal. So if you want to take every scriptural teaching literally, then I think what you won't have is what we call an anointing, which is what Christ is known to be, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Moshiach. So it's his anointing that destroys the yoke, the yoke being that spiritual thing that binds sinners. You know, that's why we need Christ. James, let me... We don't have the James, 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 let me read a scripture for you. It's Romans 8, verse 13. It says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's as simple as it can get. And I, and I want to tell you, James... And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to recite it to you. Can I do that for you? Absolutely. Okay. There's a scripture where Jesus says, he, or he, it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes. He, he takes upon the sins of the world. Um, when you come to Christ, you don't come to Christ just for salvation. You're not coming to Christ just so that you can go to heaven. You're also coming so that he can bring heaven to you and bring his anointed, his blood, his anointing, with the title that he's been given to you, the power that he has given to you. Without Christ, you have no power. You're powerless. James, you and I are in total agreement. So what I'm saying to you, sir, is there will never be a day, as long as you're in this flesh, as long, and that's what Jesus was talking about at the Garden of Gethsemane, that the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Absolutely. If you're in this flesh, you will never be successful as it relates to sin. James, because wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just went over the edge. I'm just because just, just, I don't, I'm just, I live, hold on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead, sir. When Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water, when he cried out to Jesus and said, save me. What if Jesus had said, Peter, you're in the flesh, and the flesh is weak, so go ahead and sink and be drowned, and when I come again, I'll bring you up off the bottom of the lake. But that's not what he said. No, he didn't. He reached out his hand, and he lifted him up, and he rescued him. Absolutely. That's what he does for all of us. Okay, my, my point is this, James that Jesus Christ did not deliver us in our sin. He delivered us from our sin. Absolutely, sir, but it's a de- the deliverance that you're speaking of is a salva- and the salvation that you're speaking of is in all of eternity. It's, not, it's, it's, it's a here and now anointing, but as long as you're in this natural life, ultimately you are still going to have to confront that thorn in the flesh. On a daily basis. That's why Paul said that we die daily. No, you're, you're taking the die daily out of context also. If you look carefully at the context, that's not what it's teaching. But James, I'm not going to argue with you about this, but I am going to tell you very—hang on. I am going to tell you very clearly, 
I urge you to go back and reread the book of Romans and examine carefully that word because that word will tell you that we have been given the power to live above rebellion and sin now in this day. And that's the victory we have in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what's the point? We're defeated, and Satan rules over us. And Satan does not rule over me. Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, rules over me. Thanks for your call. I'm not going to get into an argument about this issue, but I am going to continue laying out very clearly a foundation of understanding. I know that it is a very popular belief that I can live in my sin and that Jesus' blood does not have the power to deliver me. But do you really want to say that about Jesus Christ? Do you really want to say that the blood of Jesus is no more valuable than the blood of bulls and goats and that all that Jesus can do is declare us righteous? If you look at Hebrews, the ninth chapter, it's very clear. Jesus' blood is not like the blood of bulls and goats. In the Old Covenant, they were declared righteous, but they were not made righteous. But in the New Covenant, we are made righteous. And so for for men and women who call themselves Christians— to confess that the blood of Jesus doesn't have the power to deliver them from their sin. What an abomination is this? It breaks my heart. And I testify before you as a brother in Christ that I am not walking in any known sin before God. He has given me the victory over this. Now, I have weaknesses, yes, I have infirmities, yes. I have immaturities, yes. Rebellion against God, absolutely not. I claim the blood of Jesus Christ for my life. I claim the victory in the name of Jesus, and I am delivered from every every attack of Satan against me. And that is for you also. Now, John Wesley taught this very clearly. And he was the one who, for me, opened my eyes to understand what the Scriptures are saying, that the victory is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let me pray for you. Lord, there's much disagreement today over this issue, and Satan has been very successful in fooling your people. Lord, I I remember again the precious book of Jude, the precious book of 2 Timothy, places where we're warned, and in the Sermon on the Mount where you warned us about false prophets who would come and say, you don't have the victory. The blood of Jesus is denigrated and cast down. Lord, I just lift up your blood today. I lift up your mighty name. You are the mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, and your blood is all-powerful. I plead your blood today over my brothers and sisters. Jesus, I plead your blood today. Would you give my brothers and sisters clear minds and understanding that they can be righteous now by your blood? Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. You from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with. 
Glory with great joy. 